Welcome to Artful Aging with your host, Amy. Are you a senior or a caregiver of a senior looking for support and direction? Best-selling author, educator, and expert in senior living, Amy Friesen, is here with the help you need while providing you with an important and valuable support network. So now, please welcome the host of Artful Aging, Amy Friesen. Good morning, everyone. I'm Amy Friesen, and this is Artful Aging with Amy. Thanks so much for joining us today. We are live from Bold Brave TV, and today's show is all about flushing the stigma on incontinence. Yes, you heard me correctly. There is a lot of stigma around having incontinence issues. However, it's discussed on a rather hush-hush basis. People tend to get embarrassed. As you may or may not know about me, I don't get embarrassed very easily, and my guest today, you know, is the same as well. So we're just going to talk about it all. Um, I've also noticed with uh, my clients, when they get they get more significant cognitive decline, they tend to hide personal support items and clothing items in which they might have had an accident in. So there's different things to look for uh, surrounding this issue. Many of our caregivers watching have most likely had incontinence issues if they've gone through pregnancy. I've definitely had it myself. And it's, you know, I try not to be as hush hush because I feel like talking about this stuff uh, creates extra questions for people to ask and find resources. So it's not always cut and dry, however, and it's not always incontinence versus not incontinent. You're not always incontinent and there's different levels. So for these reasons, our guest today is going to help us discuss incontinence what it is, as well as what we can do to improve the continence. Lisa Flanders is a physiotherapist, as well as a co-owner of Bloom Integrative Health and Movement Center. Lisa began practicing in orthopedic physiotherapy, but had a keen interest in pelvic floor physiotherapy. She realized many individuals have common concerns related to pelvic health, but are often too embarrassed to seek advice or or are unaware of a treatment is available, which was where I was at when I met um, Lisa. Well, not when I met her, but when I started going to see her. So welcome, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I'm really excited to be here. I'm super interested in discussing this. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is as my team at Tea & Toast, we often share our podcast around because legitimately almost every week we're dealing with the same stuff we're dealing with in podcasts. So I'm always happy to have extra information to share. So Lisa, maybe we can start today's conversation with explaining to our viewers what incontinence actually is and what the different types are. Yeah, absolutely. Incontinence is defined as any involuntary loss of urine or loss of bladder control. Um, And that can be as little as you finish urinating, you stand up from the toilet and you have a few drops to, you know, you are walking around and leaking all day long. And there are a couple different types of incontinence that we're going to talk about today. So the first one, probably the most common one, probably the one that most people have experienced if they've experienced incontinence is stress urinary incontinence. Um, Stress meaning that any stress or pressure uh, placed throughout the body that then kind of creates pressure in the pelvic floor, causing us to have loss of urine. And this is most common seen when we do things like cough, sneeze, laugh, um, physical activity that includes things like jumping or running. Um, So definitely the most common type. There's a couple other types of incontinence as well. So um, urge incontinence, and this is one that I actually experienced, and this is one that 
kind of caused my interest in pelvic health. So urge incontinence is when you kind of get that, like you're fine. And then you get that quick need, urgent need to go to the washroom. And then you leak either before you actually get onto the toilet or while you're walking to the washroom. Um, we can also have urgency, which uh, is sort of similar where you get that urgent need to go and you have to go to the washroom right in that moment, but there is no loss of urine. And so actually as a young child, I had both forms. I would get home from school. Um, I'd, you know, get to the the house. I'd put my key in the door and I'd suddenly have that urgent need to urinate. And I'd be like waddling up the stairs because we, our bathroom was on the second floor and I'd be leaking at like 16 years old, the entire way um, up to the washroom and have to change my pants once I got home. Um, and then we also have something called functional incontinence and functional incontinence is one that I don't think people are really aware of. And functional incontinence means there's some sort of physical or mental impairment that actually um, causes that person not to be able to make it to the washroom on time. And things that we can think of um, are, you know, someone that maybe has arthritis in their fingers and is unable to undo their the button on their pants, or maybe the washroom's on the second floor and that person's on the first floor and it takes them a long time to get up to the second floor. Or, you know, it's nighttime and it's dark and that person is afraid to walk down the hall because they have to walk past a flight of stairs um, to make it to the washroom. So that's functional incontinence. And then finally, we can have a mixed bag. So we call it mixed incontinence where, you know, someone might have stress urinary incontinence, but they also have urge incontinence or someone has stress incontinence as well as functional incontinence. Um, so there is definitely that combination of the of the two together or the of multiple types together. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely had stress incontinence when I was after I was pregnant. Right. And it's just, yeah, there was a, a long time where I did not jump. <laughs> I didn't. I tried not to sneeze uh, because you just couldn't control it. And also that one of the reasons I went to see Lisa as well, because I wanted to fix things up. So um, so for today, we're going to kind of concentrate on seniors. And Lisa, what are the most common issues that you see in seniors? I would say with our senior population, <clears throat> sorry. With our senior population, the most common concerns, and I mean, it, it varies. People come in for a variety of different reasons, but some of the more common reasons that people come in are a mix of stress and urge incontinence. Um, so th those two we just spoke about. Uh, I also have a lot of people that come in with overactive bladder type symptoms. So that's any sort of frequency of urination. So maybe feeling like you have to go to the washroom every half hour or every hour, um, you know, and I'm sure a lot of your viewers are going to be able to to sympathize with this. Like you go to the movies and you want to sit on the end row or the end of the row so that if you have to go to the washroom, it's very easy for you to sneak out to do so. Uh, I'm still <laughs> I sympathize with that myself. So yeah. well, me too. Absolutely me, me as well. And I'm the type of person when I fly, I like to sit on the aisle because I like to I don't like to bother people if I have to go to the washroom. Nine times out of 10, I don't have to go to the washroom, but it's like the second I'm in a middle or the window seat, that's when I have to go because I'm going to have to bother people. And I, I don't like that. Um, yeah. So, uh, so overactive bladder can be defined as frequency, uh, increased frequency of urination, or just um, more urgency to go to the washroom. Uh, we also see a lot of people for pelvic organ prolapse, and that's something that's not often talked about either. So pelvic organ prolapse is any... Anytime um, there's a weakness, uh, typically in female in, in women, um, so it, when there's a weakness in the vaginal wall and the bladder is no longer being supported well, so it kind of falls into the vagina, it kind of it ch uh, changes 
change change a shape, pardon me, uh, the rectum can fall a little bit into the vagina or even the uterus itself can start to fall down. So a lot of my clients will then talk about concerns related to pressure. So they feel like there's pressure, there's heaviness. Um, I often define it or when I'm talking to clients about this and they're not really sure what I'm, I'm meaning, I'll say, you know, it's sort of that feeling of like a tampon has been inserted incorrectly and it's a little bit uncomfortable. Like there's a feeling there. Um, constipation is another really common one that we see people for. So, uh, can be treated with pelvic floor physiotherapy along with pelvic pain and then the pre-op and post-op surgery. So whether it's a hysterectomy, a prostatectomy, um, or any other bladder repair or any other pelvic floor type surgeries, um, other things we see. Well, we're off to the races, Lisa. Lisa. So uh, we're going to take a break. After the break, Lisa and I are going to continue this conversation. You're watching Artful Aging with Amy live on Bold Brave TV, and we'll be right back. Artful Aging with Amy is currently looking for guests and show ideas for our next season. Drop us a line at hello at artfulagingwithamy.com and let us know what you would like to learn about in our upcoming season. Welcome back to Artful Aging with Amy. My guest today is physiotherapist, uh, is a physiotherapist specializing in pelvic floor physio. Lisa, how about we jump back into our conversation about incontinence? Before the break, we were discussing some of the common issues that seniors have. Lisa, I've got to ask, many, as many people are probably thinking this, is pelvic floor weakness and incontinence just a part of the aging process? I would say that it's definitely more common as we age, and that's due to things like muscle atrophy as we get older. You know, you hear that concept of if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, the other thing that we that can contribute to more incontinence with aging is just laxity in the tissues overall. Our tissues start to lose laxity. All of our tissues start to lose laxity as we get older. Um, however, if it's something that bothers you, it absolutely is something that can be treated. And, you know, when people say, oh, this is a normal part of aging, I also say, well, yes, but like osteoporosis is definitely more common as we age, but doesn't mean that we're just like, no, you're getting older, too bad. We actually have treatment protocols in place that are specifically around osteoporosis. And so we can absolutely use similar concepts for um, treating, strengthening the pelvic floor for the same reasons. And like I said, if it bothers you, then you can seek treatment. If it doesn't bother you, then you don't need to seek treatment. So it just depends on how much is affecting your life. I should also ask for folks that are having more advanced incontinence issues, because we, mm -hmm. again, uh, work with people all the time. Can that be relieved a little bit or is there like a point of no return? Uh, I wouldn't say that there's a point of no return. There's probably going to be a point where we can't one from a physiotherapy perspective alone, we can't 100% reverse it, but that's where we would start to work with physicians, your gynecologist, um, urologist to also discuss some other ways that we can help support that person, whether it be surgery, maybe medication, um, along with physiotherapy or other, you know, occupational therapy, other, other therapies. Um, so I don't, I wouldn't say that there's a point of no return, but there might be a point that like one modality. So physiotherapy alone can take you, um, back to, Fair to enough. end point. Yeah. Fair enough. Are there any certain warning signs that seniors can look for either in themselves or perhaps their partners? I would say the biggest thing to look for is change to your normal urination patterns uh, or your normal toileting patterns. So if you're noticing 
that you or your partner or someone that you're caring for is, for example, going more frequently or getting up more often throughout the night, um, anything that's just outside of what that person's norm is after, you know, many, many years of having one pattern, looking at what that changes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. There's a lot of people that have concerns at night. We see that a lot when we're working with our clients, um, which are usually new. Um, Also, is there anything that a caregiver could look for in their senior loved one? Yeah, there's a lot of things that that can be looked at. So I would first start with the things like communication. So having a communication between the caregiver and the person that they're caring for um, to see if there are any changes that have been noticed. Um, We can start looking at things like access to the toilet. So where, if, if someone's noticing, oh, this person's having more incontinence, where is that toilet located within the house? When does incontinence occur? Does it occur at nighttime? Um, does it occur, you know, when they're wearing a specific outfit um, that has maybe more buttons or, or more challenging to take off? Um, and then also making sure that there's like timing of your voids, um, that there's, again, looking at any changes to those normal patterns, I, I would say. One of the things that we look for, too, when we have clients with TNTOS is that when they're dealing with incontinence issues, sometimes, actually a lot of the time, like you said, it's a routine, a toileting routine. So mm-hmm. they they may need some extra stuff, which we'll talk about in just a second. They may need some extra support, mm-hmm. but often it's just, you know, it can be taken care of with a routine and it's and not you know, as a comparison for routine with my, you know, my four-year-old, for instance, we just say, okay, it's time to go, right? It's time to go before we leave the house. It's time to go after this or whatever. And, and sometimes she'll say, oh, I don't feel like it, but it, you know, she goes, right? So it's just getting in the routine of doing that. And sometimes that's what helps when we're helping folks make a move to retirement living that have incontinence, we, we ask to get into a routine. So if someone is experiencing incontinence, what are some of the ways that they could manage it then? Yeah. So um, again, it depends on what the per- the reason for the incontinence is. So if we're talking about more of like the functional incontinence, which I do um, notice a little bit more in seniors, it's looking to manage though what that concern is. So uh, for example, it might be at nighttime, that person is going to be in looser pants that have an elastic waist that are going to be a little bit easier to remove. Um, it might be that they need a commode in their room so there's easier access to the toilet whether the toilet being on a different floor and that makes it challenging or um that they don't want to walk at nighttime past you know the staircase and that actually that happened to a client of mine and I wasn't treating her for incontinence I was treating her for a fall and then it turned out that she started having incontinence after the fall and this was before I was even a pelvic floor physiotherapist and I was chatting with the the daughter and when we actually got into a little bit more discussion about it, it's because the mother was afraid at nighttime to walk past the open staircase to get to the washroom. So they managed it with a commode. They managed it with a baby gate at the top of the stairs. Um, and that really made a significant difference in that person's life. Um, we can use like pads so the person can wear a pad overnight or certain bedding that's a little bit easier to clean. Um, night lights in the hallway making sure that you're removing um, throw rugs. Throw rugs are can be very, very, not dangerous, but they can be a very big cause of falls in seniors. And so that can be very scary for a person. So we can remove those barriers um, that make 
accessing the toilet a little bit more concerning, that's what we want to try to accomplish. Um, moving the person closer to the washroom. So if the only washroom is on the main floor, then perhaps moving that person down to a, a downstairs bedroom. And there are a lot of homes that only have one washroom um, on the main floor or on the second floor. And so just making sure that person has access to that washroom. I actually, when I was looking for houses many years ago, one of the houses I looked at had a, had a toilet in the laundry room like just in the middle of the laundry room um, with like no sink except for the laundry sink. And it made me think like, does this person just have a hard time getting up the stairs when they're doing laundry? And maybe the laundry is their trigger and having to walk up to the second floor from the basement is challenging. So as as silly as the, the toilet placement was, I understood it because of the work that I do. I, I definitely understand that as well. And I've seen that a lot of times as well. And with your comment on flow rugs, throw rugs are the bane of my existence in what I do. So I've been even known to take throw rugs with me when I visit people. <laughs> May I have your throw rugs, please? Yeah. Oh, dear. So, well, let's take a break again, Lisa. When we return, we'll be discussing all things pelvic floor physio. What is it? How it can help prevent incontinence? You don't want to miss it. We'll see you in a few minutes. Are you watching us on YouTube but would rather listen to us in the car or on a walk? No problem. Artful Aging with Amy is also available as a podcast. Head over to artfulagingwithamy.com for the links. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining Lisa and I today in our conversation about incontinence. We have looked at what incontinence is as well as possible causes and warning signs. Let's chat about solutions now. As mentioned at the top of the show, Lisa is a physiotherapist as well as a pelvic floor expert. Now, Lisa, many people are unfamiliar with pelvic floor physio and its benefits. I know I wasn't familiar with it until I needed to find a solution. So can you tell us uh, exactly what pelvic floor physio is and how it helps and what it does? Absolutely. Um, pelvic floor physiotherapy is a branch of orthopedic physiotherapy. So orthopedic physiotherapy is the, you know, you, you hurt your back, you go see a physio, you hurt your ankle, you go see a physio. Pelvic floor physiotherapy is just a specialized branch of that. Um, all it means is that as a pelvic floor physiotherapist, I have the ability to assess a little bit more than a general physiotherapist. I'm able to assess the muscles, the ligaments, the tissues that are found inside the vagina and inside the rectum. Um, and then what it helps with, I mean, we talked about quite a few things that it, we can help with with seniors. Um, we also work a lot with prenatal patients, with postnatal patients. Um, we work with children that are having concerns with bedwetting and constipation and then, you know, incontinence, prolapse, um, and then pelvic pain. That's a really big one that we, that we work with people that have pain in the, in and around the pelvis. Is there, I'm, I'm guessing I know the answer, but is there a different type of training that a physiotherapist who does pelvic floor, uh, would have to get to kind of qualify, I guess? Yeah, so I'm going to like speak from an Ontario, Canada perspective. I know that you have um, viewers that are kind of all over, but in Ontario, Canada, what we what happens is we graduate from physiotherapy school. We do like a general physiotherapy exam um, that all physiotherapists in Ontario have to take. And then from there, we can sort of go off and we can do more training in areas that interest us. So from a pelvic floor perspective, <clears throat> there is an additional training that we have to be able to do. The original, the additional training minimum is 40 hours. And we have to also write an exam following that as well. Then we get 
what's called a rostering from our college. So if you are to go to the college website, you will see that I am rostered to be able to perform internal vaginal and rectal exams. Um, and then from there, there, like that's sort of that 40 hours worth of training. That's a very basic amount of training that gives you a little bit of information to treat things like incontinence. But then if you want to go further and treat things like pregnancy, like help women during pregnancy or people with constipation or people with pelvic pain, there's like many more levels of courses that you take um, after that. So it's definitely not something that you like take a course, you learn what you need to and continue on. It's like a lifelong learning process. So I was even in a course, even after 10 years in this field, I was in a course last weekend uh, or sorry, in November, I was in a weekend course just to continue to grow and learn my skills and learn new research that's coming out because research always changes. It's really beneficial too, like any other profession, right? All of us, you know, it, to, to keep at the top of your profession, you know, you have to keep learning and keep expanding. Like you said, research does change all the time. And one of the reasons I ask that is because I don't see a lot of pelvic floor physios. It's not something that's like all over the place. So that's why I was curious. Mm-hmm. When when should someone see a, a pelvic floor physiotherapist? So my thought is that, um, especially with women, uh, at, at some stage in their life, I feel all women should see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Um, but I'm also going to say that if you feel like you have a problem, then it's a good time to see someone. So if we use incontinence as an example, if you have incontinence, once a year and it doesn't really bother you and you can manage it by wearing a pad while you're doing, you know, whatever exercise it is that causes that. Um, and you don't feel like it's a problem, then I'm not going to say like, no, you 100% have to come see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. But I do, if you do feel like there is a problem with any of the things that we previously discussed, then I would say, yes, that's a good time to come and see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Okay. And I have to know, is virtual pelvic physio a thing? Yes, it is. And I think this pandemic has really um, sort of created like a uh, like a jumping block to do more virtual physiotherapy, um, just in general, j- virtual care for healthcare. care. Uh, so before the pandemic started, my business partner and I had discussed some ways that we were going to potentially bring in some virtual care and virtual care has been in place for a very long time in like Northern Canada, uh, where there isn't really access to healthcare the same way that there is in um, more of the Southern areas of Canada. So we thought, you know, let's do some, let's maybe look at doing some virtual care, maybe in a couple of years from now, and we'll be able to reach some people in, and in Ontario, i I'm only able to work with people who live in Ontario. So, you know, maybe reaching some people in some Northern Ontario communities that might not have access to care otherwise. And then COVID COVID hit and we made like a one week decision that we're, okay, we're going to start virtual care now. Um, so we really quickly had to learn <laughs> to learn how to do virtual care for, for pelvic floor physiotherapy. So it's obviously a little bit different than if you come in to see someone in person. In person, you know, we do a very much a hands-on exam. We typically do, will do an internal pelvic floor examination. With virtual care, no, we don't do an internal evaluation. You're not on screen showing us <laughs> your your pelvic floor, but we can actually help you or the the patient to self-assess. So during the pandemic, we actually, I feel like I got quite good at um, assessing and treating people virtually. And it was a lot of, um, you know, moving that person through where, where do I want you to stand? Where do I want you to put your hands so that I could then evaluate what was going on within their body. And it was actually, it was 
as much as COVID wasn't great because we were closed, it was also great because we were still able to help so many people. And I did, I did have a couple patients that I never even met in person. I only met them virtually. They came in for their appointment or they had their virtual appointment. We had our follow-ups and then they were doing so well that I was able to discharge them without, without actually ever meeting them in person. So that was really cool. Um, so it's definitely a thing. It's definitely something that I think we're going to continue on with. Um, going forward. And it's great in a day and age where we have access to people, to healthcare providers that we might not have had access to in the past. So whether you live far away or if there's a snowstorm or if you have, if you're sick or your kids are home, it's a really great way to continue with your care um, without having to come into the clinic. Well, and, and, and even just the whole medical system being able to um, go virtual has been super helpful. You know, talking oh, to my amazing. doctor on the phone, they have, you know, a lot of people also have a bit more time because it's virtual and it's not, you know, going back and forth like the doctor, you know, what, how many problems do you have? Let's, let's solve them all. Right. And like, yeah. you know what I mean, which is not what was happening pre COVID. So I'm always careful to say COVID did this excellent, but you know, even in my own field, there's things that have happened that, you know, that have advanced the industry, which is pretty cool. So let's go for a break. After the break, Lisa and I will be discussing prevention. And so get up, stretch, grab a cup of coffee, and we'll see you back here in a few minutes. You'll be watching Artful Aging with Amy live on Bold Brave TV. We'll see you in a few. Hello again, and thanks for joining us today. Let's discuss prevention. I find that many of our clients we work with at Tea and Toast have some sort of incontinence. However, there is never any discussion on how to improve it or to alleviate the incontinence. It just doesn't seem to be on the radar that, you know, and it's just accepted that incontinence is just a thing and this is what we're dealing with. But there's, uh, it's a little bit surprising, especially with the information that Lisa's giving us today, because, you know, just the same if someone hurt a muscle uh, in their leg or, or broke their arm or something, you know, physiotherapy and different things would come in to fix it. But incontinence seems to be one of those things that is just like, well, I have it. That's it. So Lisa, what are some tips that we can give our audience to help prevent incontinence? The first thing that I get most of my clients to do when they come into the office, if they're having concerns related to incontinence or overactive bladder is I have them complete a bladder diary. Now, a bladder diary is really simple. You don't need an actual, like I, I give people a handout, but you don't actually need that handout to be able to do one. Essentially, you're going to start at 6 a.m. and you're going to write down till 5 a.m., so sort of a 24-hour period. And all you're going to do is write down when you had a void, how long it took you. So, you know, did your void last 15 seconds? Uh, did it last three seconds? Um, we also want to know if you've had a bowel movement in that time. Uh, and then what you've had to drink and when. And that's a great tool to start with. I usually get my clients to do it for two days. And clients of mine that are working, I'll get them to do it like on a weekday and a weekend so that we have sort of the comparison between the two. And that what that first does is it starts to give us some patterns. So we can look at patterns like, okay, that this person um, always gets up at 6 a.m. and they void for 15 seconds. But then they go back to the washroom at 7 a.m. and they void for three seconds. Well, what's causing that three second void? That might be one that we want to start working on, maybe delaying it a little bit, um, working on some timing. So a uh, bladder diary can be a really great place to start for either um, just so in someone in general, or if you're a caregiver and you want to start to look at those patterns as well. Um, from there, we want to look at things like 
having the person, especially with things like urgent, urgent continence. So having that urgent need to urinate and then not being able to make it to the washroom. Oftentimes what happens is like panic sets in. It's like, I have to go to the washroom. I have to go all the way up the stairs and take these pants off to do it. So I always tell my patients to stop, don't panic. So stop and breathe. Um, and then just take a moment to, and we'll talk a little bit more about some exercises that we can do, I think in our next segment, but just stop, breathe, maybe do a few pelvic floor exercises, and then it becomes a mind over bladder, um, conversation with yourself. So, you know, I talked earlier about how, when I was a kid or a teenager and I would come home from work and I'd put, or my, sorry, I'd come home from school as a teenager. I didn't have a job. You were working <laughs> young, man. <laughs> I know. I'd put my key in the door. And then as soon as I put my key in the door, I'd get this like urgent need to urinate. And it's like, well, what was that key in the door trigger? And often it's something as simple as you've said to yourself, I'm going to go when I get home. So you get home, you put your key in the door, your brain goes, you're home. And your body's like, okay, time to go to the bathroom. So if we can just change that conversation a little bit um, and say, instead of I'm going to go when I get home, I now use I'm going to go when I'm sitting on the toilet and my pants are pulled down. So I'm being very specific about when I'm actually going to, to void my bladder. And it's actually, it sounds silly, but it's pretty amazing how quickly you can start to change your mindset and make it to the washroom without concern. So now I can have to go to the washroom. I can maybe run an errand. I can get home. I can put, you know, my groceries away or whatever errand I was doing um, I can go into the kitchen for a moment and then I make my way to the washroom and there's no longer that like panic set moment. Um, so that's called, we call that mind over bladder. <laughs> uh, then we always want to talk about our, we always want to work on our breathing and then some connection to the pelvic floor. So breathing becomes very important when we think of pelvic floor function. Um, our breath is very closely related to the pelvic floor. When we breathe in, our diaphragm descends downwards. So our diaphragm sits below our ribcage. And when we breathe in, our diaphragm descends downwards. It pulls down on the lungs. It creates a negative pressure in our thorax. And then air rushes into our lungs. But what happens below the diaphragm is we create a positive pressure. So the diaphragm contracts and it lowers. And it creates this positive pressure in the belly. And that positive pressure gets distributed. And we want that distribution to happen front and back side to side, and then down. So it's almost like when we inflate a balloon, we breathe in and there's an increase in length in the muscles of the pelvic floor and the abdomen and the low back. If we then try to like engage the pelvic floor against that breath, it becomes very challenging because it's a struggle between your diaphragm, which is under mostly under involuntary control versus the pelvic floor, then trying to like engage below. And we create this sort of mismatch um, struggle between the top and the bottom. So breathing is very important, connecting with your breath and then putting it together with pelvic floor strength. So in our next segment, when we talk a little bit more about strengthening, we want to make sure that we're pairing that as best we can with our breath. And it, I mean, it's not like you must do it this way. It just makes it a little bit easier for us to pair our, our breath with our strength. Um, other ways that we can manage. So we want to look at like we talked about the bladder diary. So then we can start looking at timing of voids. So if that person always goes at 10 a.m. and you're going to go in the car at 945, maybe that's a great reminder that they might need to void before getting into the car. Also timing of fluids. So we know things like caffeine and alcohol, those can start to stimulate the bladder. So either 
cutting those out completely or reducing um, the amount, um, that can be a great way to control continents. I do find when I go down south to visit my mom in California that I think it's because it's a lot drier. I drink a lot more water and I have to urinate so much more frequently. I find like one cup of coffee just goes like right through my system <laughs> as quick as possible. Whereas when I'm in the cold, great white north, it's much different. Um, so yeah, looking at um, uh, things in your diet that might be stimulating along with medication too. And we know that there's a lot of medication that can change, you know, lots of medications act as diuretics or stimulants. So looking at the medications that you have in your life as well. So, you know, I've some patients that say, well, I need to drink water right before I go to bed because I take these medications and it's like, okay, well, can you, can we look at maybe moving the timing of those medications up by an hour? So you're not drinking so much fluid before you go to bed. Uh, so those are my big ways that I get people to start with management. That's a lot of, a lot of, a lot good of information. <laughs> no, it's a lot of good information though. It's funny that you say that you have to go the more when you go to the drier climate, because I find that when I'm freezing, maybe I'm shivering and I have to go more. <laughs> I'm always cold and I have to pee. Oh dear. Uh, so we're going to go for uh, another break after the break. Lisa and I are going to teach you how to strengthen your pelvic floor Stay tuned. You won't want to miss it. We'll see you in a few. This is Artful Aging with Amy. We're live on Bold Brave TV. If you're a planner or trying to be one, Things You Should Know is a great place to start. Personal information, power of attorney info, and real estate is just a fraction of the information you can store in this fillable planner and record keeper. Download your free copy today at tntoast.ca forward slash medical dash planner to get started. Welcome back. Now is the moment you've all been waiting for. I know it. Lisa is going to lead us through how to exercise your pelvic floor, what to look for, how often should we do it. Uh, and from my own knowledge, Lisa, uh, I believe the pelvic floor muscle is just like any other muscle in the body. And with that, it begs the question, we should be working them out too. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, very much like any other muscle in the body, we want to at least have some sort of connection to it. Um, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. And often as we get older, we lose that little bit of connection to that part of our body because it's not something we think about on a daily basis, like picking up a coffee cup, right? Yeah, for sure. So can you tell us, are there exercises for the pelvic floor? Are they different depending on whether you're a man or a woman? And, and can you tell us what they might include? Absolutely. So the exercises themselves are not going to differ that much, just perhaps the cues that we use for um, a male versus a female or a, um, someone with a penis versus someone with a, a vulva are going to differ a little bit because we have to make sure that we're cueing for the appropriate anatomy. Um, but I mean, overall, the muscles of the pelvic floor are the same, whether you are a man or a woman. So I do have my little pelvis model. This is a um, female pelvis. As you can see, we have the vulva on the outside. But if I take this off, really everything else is the same. So we have our internal pelvic floor muscles um, that we can see here. So as I mentioned, the pelvic floor is works together well with our breath, along with a few other structures. We don't have a, a ton of time, so I'm going to just kind of talk about how the pelvic floor itself works with our breath. So our diaphragm sits on top. So like I said, when we breathe in, the diaphragm contracts and it lowers. It creates this pressure in the abdomen. And what we want is that pelvic floor to start to lengthen and accept that pressure. And then as we breathe out, 
and the diaphragm returns to resting, that's when the pelvic floor will then start to reflexively lift. And then that's a great time for us to start um, thinking about engaging some of the spots within the pelvic floor. So to start with very simple exercises, I typically will get my um, clients if they're, and this is actually great for virtual. This is how I would start someone virtual. I would get you to put one hand on the side of your ribs and one hand on our abdomen. And I don't know if you can actually see what I'm doing here, but one hand on the side of the ribs, one hand on the side of the abdomen, and just list, like start by touching base with your breath. We would take a long breath in and then out. And a long breath in and out. So the first key there is that you want to make sure that you are feeling both of your hands moving um, so as we breathe in, the hands should move out. And then as we breathe out, the hands kind of move back in. And then we can start cueing some different spots within the pelvic floor. So, um, we're going to start with two different cues, whether you are a man or a woman, um, two different cues to start working on the very front part of the pelvic floor. So as you take your long breath in, everything's relaxing. As we breathe out, we're going to either think about lifting our testicles up. So that would be a great cue for a male. So exhaling, lifting the testicles up. And for a female, we're going to think about nodding the clitoris downwards. So let's just do a couple breaths in and out where we think about those two cues. So long breath in, exhale, wink the clitoris. Long breath in, Exhale, think about lifting the testicles. And then I get that person to think about where they feel that in their body. And what I'm hoping that they're that you know your viewers are feeling is the front part of the pelvis engaging a little bit. From there, the cues actually become very um, generic. So our second cue that we're going to use, this is going to get a little bit more of the middle of the pelvic floor. So we're going to think of our sits bones. So our sits bones. If you put your hand underneath your bum, that's exactly where we sit. That's a bone that you'll feel when you sit. When someone you know, says they have a bony bum, that's what you're going to feel. So on our next exhale, we're going to think about bringing the sits bones together. But just by about one millimeter, we're just doing very small movements here. So we're going to take a long breath in. Exhale, think about bringing the sits bones together by one millimeter. Long breath in. As we breathe in, we always want to think about relaxing, so lengthening. And then we're going to breathe out. Think about bringing the sits bones together. And then the third part is where we're going to think of the very back of the pelvic floor. And we're going to use this, again, the same cue, depending, no matter what body parts you have, we're going to think about stopping the passage of gas. So we take our long breath in, breathe out, gently think about stopping the passage of gas. And you should feel that one a little bit more within the bum. And then we can put those three together. So we can think about taking our long breath in. Exhale, think about winking the clitoris or lifting the testicles. Bringing the sits bones together and then gently stopping the passage of gas. Always stopping, um, always ending your exercise with an inhale. We always want to end the exercise with lengthening of that pelvic floor again. So we, we're going to just finish with our long breath in. And let the muscles relax. Now, at home, you can 
you know, play around with those different cues and see what feels best for you. You can, you know, what feels best for your body. Does doing one of them, does doing all three of them, does combining two of them together. That's the basis of a Kegel. So a Kegel is a shortening and a lengthening of the pelvic floor. And then from there, we can add some movement. And I love adding movement because it's very rare people feel incontinent when they're just sitting still. Um, you know, you always hear people, oh, I'm in the car and I did all my Kegels. And it's like, great, but did you actually have incontinence in the car or did you have incontinence when you were walking up the stairs? So then we just want to add a little bit of movement to get the brain and the pelvic floor talking to one another with movement. And I do have um, some different examples of things you can do. So I have a little five pound weight. You can use a soup can at home or I have a stretchy band and you could use like a pair of pantyhose or like stretchy pants at home. So then we start putting it together with some movements. So I, you know, I'm going to do a simple shoulder press here. We're going to take a long breath in. We're going to exhale. You're going to engage whatever part you want to engage at the pelvic floor. I'm going to choose to think about winking the clitoris. And then all I'm going to do is lift. There you go. Lift the arm up overhead. Breathe in. Let everything relax. Exhale. Engage. And lift the arm up. And you can do this with any movement. So I could use my exercise band. And I could do a, a banded pull. I could, in seated, lift a leg up. Um, you know, in standing, I could, you know, stand on one foot. There's lots of different ways you can incorporate this. I think the key is just incorporating the um, exercise itself with a little bit of movement. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Lisa. I really appreciate that. I hope that our viewers have been able to locate their pelvic floor and been able to start doing this. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Lisa. We've come to the end of our time already together. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. After the break, I will break down our top tips from today. Keep strengthening your pelvic floor during the break, and we'll see you in a few. Welcome back. This is Artful Aging with Amy. We're live on Bold Brave TV. I hope that you've learned a lot about how to exercise your pelvic floor, and maybe you'll pass this episode along to some of your friends and loved ones. Help get the word out. There's definitely some improvements folks can do uh, who have incontinence, so let's help spread that a little bit. Uh, for more information about Lisa and uh, Bloom, you could always head over to artfulagingwithamy.com. There's a link there for for Lisa, as well as on Lisa's site, there are a lot of videos that are called Not TMI, which is, are my favorite. So I think that they're pretty awesome. So if you want to head over there, there's definitely a lot of more information that you can get. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please hit the like button and subscribe so that you'll be notified when we put new episodes out. Also, you'll be helping other families find us because of the algorithms of, of YouTube and all of our podcasts, then they'll come up more often. So if you could help us out to reach some more families and help them. Okay, so my top list from today, overall health is really my number one. It's important to make sure that um, although we didn't cover this specifically with uh, Lisa, it's something her and I spoke about previously. You wanna make sure that you're eating properly, you're exercising regularly, you're working out the muscles to make sure everything is still in working order, and that includes your pelvic floor muscles. So make sure that you're trying on top of your general health and well-being. I think that's kind of a good tip for anything we do in life. Number two, have a look at your medications and see if they may be causing you some incontinence. You can always have them reviewed by your doctor or a pharmacist. Some folks are taking muscle relaxants. 
that may have um, interfered. Some other folks are dealing with stimulants um, that also may be interfering with their pelvic floor and causing incontinence. So it's always important to have a good look at what's happening. Like Lisa said too, with the bladder diary, it's always a good thing to have a look at what's currently going on with before you change anything. So you know how you can tweak anything else that comes up. And number three, remember that incontinence doesn't need to be accepted as a normal part of aging. There are ways to help, such as the ways that we spoke about today. So you don't have to just accept that you're incontinent um, and then, you know, obviously wear pads or whatever that you're going to do. You can always look into alternative things to do, such as pelvic physio, um, and, and replay the exercises today. And hopefully they can give you a little bit of a leg up. That does it for us today. On next week's show, we will be discussing um, caregiving with a parent who is also caregiving for her parents and in-laws, as well as obviously her kids. Her name is Sarah McEwen. I think that it's going to be a great conversation. She's also a life coach. So make sure you let your friends know about the upcoming episode. I think not only will it be an eye-opener for a lot of folks, but it's going to be super informative. For more information on today's guests, as well as upcoming guests, join me over at artfulagingwithamy.com. There you'll also find links for extra uh, downloads, uh, links to all of our guests' websites, so that if you want some more information on them, it's available there. Um, And you can also uh, head around the site as well to look at the free downloads that TM Toast has as well. So if you're looking for retirement living, um, then you can always do that. There's a fuzz in my face. So thank you so much for joining us on Our Aging with Amy. We're on Bold Brave TV. From me to all of you, I hope that you have a wonderful Wednesday. Take care. You've been listening to Artful Aging with host Amy. Many folks just like you feel they're alone in their journey in helping a loved one or caregiver. So tune in each week and let Amy show you that help is around the corner and is just one conversation away here on Artful Aging.